Bloody Elbow presents the sixth round post-fight show, which gives you a rundown and full analysis of the bouts that took place on this weekend's UFC event. Hey everybody, welcome back to the sixth round post-fight show with me, Zane Simon, and my co-host, as always, Eddie Mercado. Coming to you guys once again from the conclusion of UFC Vegas 67, Strickland versus Imovov, going down at the Apex facility in Las Vegas, Nevada. Fight just wrapped up. Sean Strickland coming in on just like four days' notice to steal a decision away from Nasruddin Imovov and put a halt to his rise up the division. Yeah, and kind of kind of right the wrong. Um, he was in a really close matchup with Cannoneer last month that yeah. you know could have easily gone his way. He felt like he got robbed. It was a close fight. Yeah, but I here, Strickland's never he's never going to accept that. Sure. Yeah. Uh, but he comes out here, and uh, I pick Strickland to win. Me but too. I I was envisioning um, Imovov coming out super hot for the yeah. first two and a half rounds and then Strickland's pace to just take over in the later rounds. And that was exactly my feel too. But damn it, Strickland came out and just uh, forced Imovov to fight his pace and slowly but surely started to take over command of the cage. Yeah, was... I mean, what's kind of shocking is that it's Imovov who won the last round. If there's one round that we could all agree Imovov absolutely won... It would be round five. Right. The least expected round for him to win. Yeah. But that was also Because, I mean, I've seen him. No, I've seen him flag late in flight, late in fights. And that's what gave me pause here. You know, I didn't trust him in five rounds. Um, But he had five rounds on the the regional. So it's not like one of those things where, oh, I haven't been five rounds in the UFC, but I've done it before. He'd never done it before. Yeah. But I, to his credit, though, I thought his gas tank held up really well. Yeah. I, you know, he fought hard. Like you just said, he he won the the fifth round. He went for it. Um, but Strickland just got off to a great start and, and held it for a long time. And, and Strickland's the kind of dude, too, where if you don't ice him immediately before he's in the flow of the fight, you're not going to put him away late. You can beat him. You can hurt him. But by the time every, you know, both of you are tired, you're loosened up, punches don't have the same snap on it. He's just not going to go. You're not going to get that one big shot late that suddenly puts him away. He's not that dude. Yeah. And, so. and you know, you say what you will about <laughs> the lapses in his his defense, but. He had the perfect amount of awkwardness in his striking oh, yeah. defense for Imovov here. I yeah. mean, I don't, I don't. It's it's hard for me to remember one sequence where Imovov landed more than one strike at a time. No, absolutely. Like Strickland would like throw his hands up in in like the least textbook kind of way, but it was <laughs> effective. It was it was it was you know, it was really effective, and it, it kept him from getting hit with that that follow up strike or you know two of the three in the combination. Yeah, I mean, we've talked about it a lot in the past that Strickland's one of those guys where, like, it's very clear he grew up in the gym learning MMA by sparring with a lot of way better, way bigger, way stronger guys. And so his his style is built around survival on, like, hanging with everybody. 
And he's honed that style for long enough that, you know, he's he's at the point where he can go up and all, hang all the way up with the, the very top of the division. Now, yeah. sure, that, you know, doesn't necessarily mean beat all the top of the division, but he is he's just a really tough fighter to put away if you aren't if you yourself are not way more technical than him and or just way more precise and powerful and Imavov is he's not a bad fighter he's fa- clearly faster than Strickland he's clearly sharper yeah. than Strickland in the in the fifth round he was the one with any snap left in his strikes at all but he didn't have the precision. He didn't have the level of technical mastery where he could just go out and take Strickland apart the way somebody like Alex Pereira could. Yeah, I mean, and the command Strickland had was was just impeccable. Yeah, you know, and that's something you get from being seasoned, and you know, and also, I mean, credit to the sparring cardio that Sean Strickland oh, yeah. has because he I mean, was, that's he one was, of the. I, I yeah. mean, he. He was dead tired probably by the th- end, of, end of the third round of this fight, maybe even the end of the second. Mm-hmm. He was obviously flagging. He because he took this fight on four days' notice. He wasn't. He hasn't been putting yeah. in road work. He's two hundred and four pounds, and he's just sparred so much that you can like he he can still just go on automatic and fight all the rest of the rounds. You yeah. know. And it's 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 for all the detriments that sparring breathe, brings. There, there are upsides to it. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's a heavy cost, but there is there is an upside to it. It 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 absolutely prepares you for fighting hard. You know that is it, it's it's we want to see people spar hard less because of the damage it does. But there's no better preparation for war than going to war. You know, like if you. Right. If you want to learn how to survive a firefight, having a bunch of them, it helps you. You know, it it helps you survive. Yeah, it helps with that composure in tough yep. situations, and that's you know, being able to be composed and and have vision in in hot moments. Yep. You know, the, sometimes that's where knockouts you know occur. That's when you can find your knockout punch. Yeah, like I say, there's a reason that you get laid into a fight, and Strickland's a guy that you're never going to knock him out because. He's, you know, at that at that point, he's so much in his in his zone. He's seeing whatever's coming, even if he's not necessarily moving out of the way of it all. Even if he's not technically perfect in position to block it all, he's not getting yeah. caught off guard by anything. It's early in a fight when everybody's still cold and he's trying to feel his way into the fight. That's when he's gotten caught and put out before. And he's so great at resetting into a stance. Yep. I mean, yeah. it's the same thing every single time where Imovov was kind of all over the place with what he was trying to do. And that 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 also goes back to the command, you know, yeah. he's he has he has better generalship than there, Imovov at, at this stage. There's a reason Connor and I both picked him on the Vivi. There's a reason you were picking him going into this is just like and it's like I said, this is a hard, hard. This was a rough, really rough change for Imovov because I would have picked him. Absolutely, hundred percent every time against Kelvin Gastelum. Yeah, like Kelvin Gastelum does not push a pace. He is six inches shorter than Nasadine Imavov. He would leave that fight out at Nasadine Imavov's range, probably for the majority of it. 
it would be a really good t- fight for Imovov to feel his way through five rounds, where even if he did get tired, even if he did have trouble, you're in there against somebody who's probably not going to go put a, bunt- a bunch of pressure on you and throw 150 strikes that round. Yeah, and even in Imovov's last fight uh, with with Buckley, I yeah. mean, y- you would see him showboating, and you would see him, you would see this bravado out of him, and there was zero of that in this fight. Yeah, I mean, not even a glimmer. Yeah, like this he was... he didn't look confident at at no point during this fight. Yeah, this was a really rough change on short notice, honestly, to go from. Five foot, five foot nine, low paced Kelvin Gastelum to six foot one, high output, constant sparring cardio guy, Sean Strickland. Yeah. Well, he was, Imovov was confident, but he wasn't overly confident. Yeah. Like we've yeah. seen in the past. So I, you know, rough change for him, puts a little halt on his momentum. Doesn't necessarily mean anything for the division. I mean, there's still guys like, you know, uh, Darren Till and like Kelvin Gastelum and even, you know, like uh, Drickus Duplessis out there at the top of 185 that I would give Imovov a very fair chance to do really well against and bounce back against. It's just, you get up there, you know, there's a reason Strickland got up to the point of fighting Pereira and Cannoneer and could, you could, you know, I wouldn't pick him to win, but could probably survive five rounds of fighting Robert Whitaker and guys like that up at the top of 185. And it's because he's put together the super consistent style that is that you have to have to be at the top. Well, that brings a, brings up a good question. I mean, where does Strickland go from here? Do you throw him in there with Whitaker or do you give him someone a little further down still? Uh, I mean, you could, you could. I mean, I would love to. Really, honestly, I would love to have seen him fight against uh, what's his name, um, Paulo Costa. If if oh, Costa yeah, had true. stuck around, but Costa's almost certainly, almost certainly, I would say, on his way out of the UFC. I think he's probably created enough bad blood with this pullout of uh, UFC 284 that the mm-hmm. UFC is not going to try to meet his terms on anything. Um, and then Marvin Vittori is like best buds, core training partner for Strickland. It really like, unfortunately, Strickland, Vittori and Curtis now are all team, you know, extreme couture guys to the core. So it's hard to see any of them fighting one another. Um, he beat Jack Hermanson already. Like... Yeah, you're looking at, like, if Jarek Brunson beats Jack Hermanson, maybe he fights Derek Brunson. Um, otherwise, yeah, like, yeah, Whitaker's who? kind of the dude out there right now without a fight who was expecting to have a fight to take. And I, you know what? I guarantee, well, I almost guarantee that Sean Strickland would be willing to fight next month in Perth. <laughs> yeah, the other... The other thing I would do, I mean, if I were Strickland, if I were in Strickland's corner, if I were talking to him, if I were, you know, the guys out there on his team, I'd be like, 
wait for Dracus Duplessis to get another win and fight him. You know, you just made a bunch of money. You, he just said after the show that the UFC paid him a whole bunch of money to take this fight on short notice. Like, take six months off. Yeah, and, I would absolutely not give that advice at all, Zane. I would go the no. other way and say, you know what? You just hit a big jackpot with the UFC. You're in good standing. You save this card. And you can go save Robert Whitaker being on an, a card in Australia. Uh, yeah, you could probably get them to, to pay you big dollars to, to show up for that fight. Fair I think enough. he could get a huge payday. And Sean Strickland's a prize fighter. Yeah, that's true. And he's a, he, he doesn't need time. Like, time away I, seems like a punishment for Sean Strickland. Yeah, it does. I mean, I'm not saying the time away to, like, you know, save yourself or whatever. I'm just thinking of, like, how do you pick up, how do you pick out the next guy that you can beat to put you on a streak to get to the, to the belt? Because you're right. I mean, the other option is go out there, fight Whitaker, get yourself paid you will be walking back into the top 10 of the the middleweight division with a loss, but you'll still be a top 10 middleweight and you'll have gotten paid. So, you know, there is that too. I just absolutely would not pick him in a million years to beat Robert Whitaker. But yeah, it's a great, great fight for Strickland. Great to see him show up like this on short notice, get a big win. Like I say, tough break for Imavov, but not, you know, he he uh, he got pushed up the division in a hurry. He can take a loss. He can go turn around and, uh, you know, fight uh, somebody like I don't know. Gregory Rodriguez is got you know he's got a fight booked uh, coming up here. If he wins that, he fight Gregory Rodriguez or fight. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. Well, it, I mean, it's not like he got his ass beat, right? No. Like, Imovov, he put up a, a good fight. He, yeah. This was just a learning lesson. Yeah. So it wasn't a bad. Chris Curtis or something, you know, that'd be a fun fight. To see. <laughs> that, that'd be perfect. And it's a teammate of Strickland. There's a little storyline yeah. there. And so. like this, this, there wasn't any real big wow moments in this, in this fight, right? No. Like no, no one really got rocked or hurt. The fight was never close to being stopped, but there were plenty of fun exchanges. Yeah. It was just it was the it was a learning moment Imovov was going to have to have sooner or later as a guy who'd never fought five rounds before and had a style that was kind of predicated on one big move at a time. He needed to face right. somebody really tough and really consistent who was gonna really push him and be like, No, you're gonna actually have to put together more parts to your game than throwing jumping in with like one big counter shot or one big one two and then changing it things up with a takedown every now and then so this was a a learning moment that would have come sooner or later it just came a little sooner than later than it would have from the gastelum fight where i think he could have breezed by with that style and been up at the top five uh all right yeah Right before that, Dan Ige, Damon Jackson, and uh, I was pretty surprised. I think if I go back to best fight odds here. And oh, how close at, this line was? Yeah, I think, uh, da- yeah, this line was super close, and there was even a point. Damon Jackson opened as the favorite and was yeah, basically dead even. That's recent spot. 
Yeah, he was dead even right until fight night, and he only closed at like plus one ten. And that was one of those things where it's just like, you got to realize Danny Gay lost to Mozart, Evloev, Josh Emmett, Chan Sung Jung, and Calvin Cater coming off wins over Mirsad Bektich and Edson Barboza. Like, I love Damon Jackson. His story is great. His second run in the UFC has been great. But a TKO over Pat, you know, wins over Pat Sabatini, Daniel Argetta, Camuela Kirk, and Charles Rosa, it's just not the same. And Ige really showed that tonight. Yeah, this on paper, I can easily see why these odds would be close. You know, at a glance, if you look at it and you're like, oh, well, this guy is, has, is coming off of a four or five winning streak and the other guy is trying to avoid a four or five losing skid. So, yeah. you know, the recency bias there, it kind of looks like it would be a close fight. One guy on the way up with the other guy on the way down. But, you know, the the level of opposition faced... Uh, shouldn't be ignored yeah and, and so. you you roll into that that through that streak of losses fighting guys like josh emmett chan sung jung calvin cater that ega was never stopped at any moment and that damon jackson when he loses often tends to be by spectacular knockout loss. right exactly and it's just like you we were headed straight into this Damon Jackson knockout loss, especially, I mean, the way it could it happened, couldn't have been any more typical to Danny Gay where, you know, he's, he's improved a lot as a boxer in all ranges and is, is a pretty well-rounded mixed martial artist, but the best part of his game, the sneaky best part of his game, it's a bit like uh, Dustin Poirier in a way where the best part thing he does is to slide out of the pocket and land counter hooks. Oh yeah. Clean and, day. Yeah. And when Jackson started really trying to press the issue in round two, because he opened round two doing pretty well. Ige took his foot off the gas. Jackson was putting some strikes together, landing kicks, landing some punches, getting his own flow going. And he started flowing a little more, and he started stepping in a little more. And Danny just slid back, left hook upstairs, lights out, fight over. Yeah, and it sucks too for Jackson because he was doing his best work when he was moving forward. When yeah. he was going backwards, Ige was having his way. But yep. when Jackson actually moved Ige back, he was starting to land. But that that's also what did him in and set him up for that counter. Yeah. And I mean that left hook landed right on the jaw, like just right on the button. Like you don't see a lot of you don't see a lot of walk off KOs outside the heavyweight division, but that was a super well deserved one. I love that Ige didn't follow up there, Jackson. Like, yeah, he, his body was still moving. There was still life in him, but there was right. no reason to continue that fight. Total class act. Total yeah. class act. Great and, win. Uh, yeah. Do we do we know? Do we know what the performance bonuses are yet? I haven't seen them posted yet. It's not up on Wiki yet. Uh, if our producer can check for us perhaps i have to expect that he got one clean knockout yeah this definitely worthy of a uh performance bonus in my opinion and and what a comeback like a, a must win he needed it it was kind of yeah. a perfect opponent for him 
um, kind of a, a step, the step back that he needed. I'll yeah. say that. Yeah, go from that run, Jung Evluev to Jackson. And, you know, this was his chance to gatekeep the top 15 for a minute. Be like, I'm still a top 15 guy. Give me a guy rising up to that level and I'll prove it. Rather than all the other guys at the top 15 who he may not be better than. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, coming off that win... I don't know. Who are we thinking? Danny Gay looking at the, the top 15 of featherweight. Talking Sadiq Yusuf, maybe? It feels like they already fought, but yeah. Yeah. Sure. Sadiq Yusuf, Danny Gay, that feels like a great fight. Um, Somewhere in that in that range, for sure. Yeah. Otherwise, I think you got to be looking at like guys sure, yeah. like Jackson again who are trying to rise up to that level. Uh, b- bonuses, we saw Ie Kapilov, Nasimento, Nurmagomedov. So no fight of the night bonus, but four uh, performance of the night bonuses. Sick. All well-deserving. Yeah. Otherwise, yeah, I'm looking at who else would be. Nathaniel Wood maybe out there. Um, yeah. Maybe Giga Chikadze. Sure, yeah, Giga Chikadze. I'd be down to see that. Uh, also got, uh, you know, got like Ilya Tapuria rising up there. Or Lerone Murphy still needs to, you know, find, get some big fights. There, there are a few, there are a few guys out there for. Yeah, I mean, honestly, Alex Caceres is coming off of a huge uh, head kick knockout win. He just got rebooked, though. He got he got a weird fight. He got fight with Nate Landwehr, which like it'll be fun as hell. But it's it, Caceres deserved a bigger fight. Yeah. Well, he's gonna be in a a uh, a banger. We'll yeah, be an absolute barn burner, no question. All right, that brings us to a middleweight bout: Roman Kapalov, Punahele Soriano, and uh, really, really stellar performance for Kapalov and kind of a big disappointment for Soriano because that, you know, he's a middleweight who you see him out there, see him even just going like three hard rounds with Brendan Allen and mixing it up, you know, having all these wrestling exchanges with Nick Maximov. And it's like, man, you can wrestle defensively really well. You can take punishment. You're durable. He ate a thousand body kicks from Brendan Allen. It felt like in their fight, and then he yeah. he fights guys like Pachota and Todorovic and Lunjiambula, and you're like, okay, here's you got the KO the KO power too. There are all the tools here to be a good middleweight, but he just has so much trouble dictating how a fight is supposed to go. That was the problem against Allen. That was a problem against Maximov and Kapalov he got stuck out at range and Kapalov just started chewing him up for it. Yeah. He got caught at range and he went too hard too soon. Just completely disrespected the striking of Kapalov. Uh, It was clear. His game plan was to storm the castle and he tried, but you know, Kapilov did a great job of being elusive and, and making Soriano miss a bunch. And that really taxed his gas tank. I mean, he was sucking wind by the end of the first round. And because Kapilov, too, like you can, you know, he he's not always been the most powerful guy out there. He's not always been 
the most decisive guy out there, but he's been really tough in all of his fights, insanely tough. And it does feel like Soriano didn't have any respect for that at all. It was just like, oh, you haven't faced somebody, right. a puncher like me, I'll put it on you. Because he, I gave Soriano the first round. I know he was sucking wind yeah. by the end of it, but he landed a ton of huge left hands. It's just, it didn't, by the end of the round, he was the guy who looked like he'd been getting beat up. Coppola was bouncing around and looking fine and fresh, and Soriano was looking exhausted. Yeah, and Coppola's looked hittable in the past. Yeah. And 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 that's why I picked Soriano here. I figured he Soriano did. was going to find a way to land the big one. Um, even but, did, and even if he didn't put him away, just land enough power shots over a couple of rounds to, to, to steal this fight away from Coppola. Right, to have the big wow moments. Yeah. Um, but Kapilov, man, he, he he tightened up his defense a little bit and, you know, definitely was in some sketchy situations, but zigged when he was supposed to zig and zagged when he was supposed to zag and, and avoided the the big power shots and made Soriano miss enough to, to slow him down. And and I love the way Kapilov will, he, you know, he, he's probing from range, he's probing from range, doing some sniping. And then the moment you show that you are hurt in the least bit, he just steps on the gas and just lets everything go. Yeah. And by that point, I mean, he just overwhelms you and you're already hurt from something. And then the the barrage is just, you know, there's nothing you can do. He's, like, got, he's got a little of that classic Nick Diaz style where there's yeah. a lot of light punches, a lot of slapping punches, a lot of slapping strikes in there, but every now and then he'll turn his he'll turn over on something really hard that really surprises you with the the speed change and then if you start getting hurt, everything starts to be hard. Everything yeah. starts to be clean. Mhm. There's potential there to be a really fun action fighter in the middleweight division and I'm glad to see him finding it cuz he was a lot of fun over on Fight Nights Global when the UFC picked him up as a champ there. And in the, I think it just took him a while to figure out people aren't going to just, they're, they're not going to be cowed by me if I just go out there and throw a lot of strikes. They were the way they were on the regionals. There are a lot of these guys are just going to eat the shots and come back with bigger stuff. I've got to do more. And a big adjustment I saw out of this too was he added in more kicks and he added in more body work. And mm -hmm. just even varying up your tools so you have something at range to offer. Because before, when he was fighting guys like Carl Roberson, Roberson absolutely crushed him with kicks in that fight. Topolov did not have anything to offer at distance. And here... Yeah, his body kicks were nasty here. Yeah, yeah. Here it was Soriano stuck on the outside with nothing to offer and Topolov doing the damage there. So great fight for him, great win for him. Love seeing him stick around in that division. And, you know, now it feels like fights with, like, I mean, I'd love to see him face somebody like uh, Petrosian or, uh, you know, Chidi and Jakawani or, yeah, you know, not? any of those kinds of dudes. So there, those action, Mahmoud Muradov, too. Like, even, even, um, Gregory Rodriguez. Yeah, sure. That would like, be interesting. Get him into the mix with some of these fun action striking middleweights and uh, see if he can keep turning things over. He's got the durability for it. It's all about just finding 
more and more of the technique and that seems like it's starting to happen. That brings us to a, a woman's bantamweight bout, Raquel Pennington, Ketlin Vieira. And I knew this would be a brutal split decision. I just mm-hmm. kind of figured it would go against Raquel Pennington because they all do. Um, credit to her, though. She she did enough. She did enough damage. She found enough of the right strikes to get the judges to give her two rounds. I think it's deserved. I think she did the better work throughout the fight. Vieira had a few big moments, landed some real the elbows she landed. They were mm-hmm. really great elbows. But she just was not at all interested in ever pushing the pace on Pennington at all. And you know, judges aren't if you don't actually hurt and stumble your opponents so that they're visibly really ro- you know, rocking from the shots that you're landing, then judges are they're gonna they're gonna look at the the whole round and be like, well, you know, your opponent's trying. They're they're doing more work than you are. Well, I mean, she did cut her open. She did cut her open. To be fair, what are we dominant um, Cruz but... now? We're gonna start talking about how the cut is all the damage. I mean, I know it, it, it's some damage. But... It, it is definitely. It was enough to uh, for me to give Vieira the first round. Yeah, I, I get. I thought. And I thought Vieira just landed cleaner in the first. I thought Vieira would win the third, but there was a lot of clinging in the third. Yeah, where she it, was it got just super kind of, stale. Yeah, she was trying to just hug her way out of the fight, and I'm happy to see that not get rewarded. That's fair. Close fight. Yeah. Um, could have gone either way. I thought Vieira won the third round as well. I thought she won the fight. I don't think it's a robbery. I think it was just a really close fight. And. Yep. When, when you get in those situations when there's so much uh, wall install going on, I mean, you're you're at that point you're you're scoring you know knees to the thigh and and things like that. So I can't really argue either way. Yeah, I I, I would. Uh, I mean, for me, it's the exact same justice that I argued for when Vieira won Holly Holm against Holly Holm. It's like great. Holly Holm was out there to absolutely swing and cling her way through this fight. Give it to Vieira. She deserved it. And then Vieira is out there to swing and cling against Ke- against Raquel Pennington. <laughs> Give it to Raquel Pennington. I don't want to see that rewarded. I'm fine with it. You know? Yeah. Justice. I liked, I liked uh, Rocky's gusto throughout the whole exactly. fight. After that first round, a fire was lit under her ass, and she really went for it. Yep. So... After that, she's calling for a title shot. She's won five fights in a row. I, I get it. I mean, you know, if you're in her, if you're her in her position, you are absolutely saying, "I'm I, I'm 34. I've won five fights in a row. I've been doing this for 12 years, for 10 years now. Get me another title shot." You know, um, but. I don't care about it at all. <laughs> like, well, you're saying you don't care about the division, but yeah. I, I I mean, I do care about the division, but like these fight, like uh, these clingy, sticky, no room between them fights, they don't create clear contenders. You know, there's absolutely nothing that separates Ketlin Vieira from Holly Holm from Raquel Pennington right now. 
Well, I mean, you can MMA math it and be like, well, Vera beat home and Rocky I, just beat Vera and Vera was number two in the world and the only one above her is Juliana, I, Juliana Pena and she just got the shit kicked out of her. So the reality five fights. What I would really say is that the UFC should book Pennington versus Pena and the winner of that should get a title shot. But if they give it to Pennington in the meantime, that's fine. I'm not going to argue against it. I just... It, it's just one of those yeah, things well, where... I mean, Pennington versus Pena doesn't do anything for me either. I would much rather see uh, see Rocky get a rematch and be led to slaughter again. I guess. It's just, you know... Not, not, I, I, I do care about the division. I just want to see, like, contenders separate themselves. It's the same problem Flyweight's having right now, where... You're getting like man on Fiero scraping one out over Jennifer Maya or whatever, and it's just like okay, yeah, I, this doesn't this doesn't make me thrilled as to see you as Valentina Shevchenko's next next title contender. No, I mean I I understand. It's yeah. these fighters just aren't putting on um, highlight worthy performances. Yeah. That's all it is. And I, but I, you know, if I'm Pennington, I am absolutely campaigning my heart out for that, that, uh, that, uh, Nunes rematch. And I'm saying I won't take any other fight. So that's, if I'm her, that's what I'd be doing. Can't blame her for that. All right. Stepping back from that, we want to talk about separating yourself from <laughs> my goodness. Phantom Wave Bout. Umar Nurmagomedov, Hani Barcelos. You know that I have been beating the Hani Barcelos drum for ages now. I think he's sure. one of the most underrated fighters in the UFC. I think he's been a top 15 kind of fighter though, since the moment he walked in the door. Knocking him out like this, this is the first knockout loss of Barcelos's career. Yeah, that is shockingly impressive. And I picked Nurmagomedov to win this. I didn't want to, but I just knew Barcelo struggles so much to match pace with dynamic, creative, rangy fighters that I I had to pick him here. But man, like no one saw this coming. No, this was misjustified the hype of the line because that line for this fight was wild. Nurmagomedov at like. Minus 700, Barcelos out at plus 1,000. And, the, like, you know, people are talking about, like, oh, Nurmagomedov's wrestling. He's going to be huge. You know, he's he's Khabib's cousin, all this stuff. And it's just like, yeah, but nobody takes Hani Barcelos down. And Nurmagomedov didn't take Barcelos down. Like, this was going to be a striking battle. These two guys were not going to out-wrestle one another. They're both no. great wrestlers. And for, like, that... The faint, the work that Nurmagomedov do, does and did to build feints off of his kicks and to make those feints turn into creative strike selections that Barcelos had to guess at—it's just top tier work. It's just no, it beautiful. was gorgeous, absolutely, and the power he has. Yeah, to, I mean, it, it looked like it landed on the forehead, like it. Or no, it was a it, it, it hit on the jaw. It was the it left landed. hook. Yeah, it was the left hook off the off the body kick. But it was just the fact that he was throwing these kicks 
And then he was changing it up with feints off the kicks, going to the body, going to, you know, landing the the right hand off the kick, stuff like that. Just changing up the entries and the, the, the strikes that Barcelos had to worry about off these kicks that when the left hook came off that kick, Barcelos had no idea. He did not see it for a second. No, it was beautiful. And yeah. like he's standing southpaw and he throws the body kick and he he switches his stance as he's coming down and as his leg is planting is the same exact time that that hook is landing. Yeah. And that's where the power translates. Yep. This was as as beautiful and as high level as you will ever see in MMA. This is yep. like you said, no one no one does this to Hani. Yeah. Nobody. So, yeah, I have uh, I got high aspirations for this guy. Yep. I think, uh, you know, obviously there's a lot of pressure on his shoulders. They were talking about that on the broadcast, being a Nurmagomedov, sure. of course. You want to continue the legacy. And uh, he's living up to it, man. Yeah, he will. He will. I will say this. He will contend for a belt someday. Yeah. You know, I don't know soon. if it'll be this year. Someday soon. Yeah. It's, it's just a question of how soon. It's just too bad that all the guys right in front of him in the rankings right now that I want to see him fight, all of them coming off losses. Mm-hmm. Song Yadong, Pedro Munoz, Dominic Cruz, uh, one other one, two in there. Let's see, who was it? Uh, nah, that was, okay, those guys, they're all coming off losses. The only one that isn't, I think this is the fight to make just for the moment, just keep building them up. Keep moving along, Ricky Simone. Sure. You know? Why not? Yeah. That's fun. Anyway, on, on like a four honestly, fight winning I, streak right now. I wouldn't I wouldn't even mind if they put him in there with someone on a loss. You know, sure. someone that's yeah. been there done that. I mean the Maybe. other fight to make the, the thriller to make is is Umar Nurmagomedov against Song Yadong. Like Yeah. Oh yeah fireworks that is the fight if we're talking just book him against somebody off a loss song Yudong versus umar Nurmagomedov is absolutely a high octane thriller of a fight make it happen zane ah yeah i hate to i hate to do it to my to my boy song you know i want to see some strings i want to see him succeed too I want to see that. That's the kind of fight I want to see for a title someday, you know? But, mm. but Bantamweight is that kind of division. It is a division full of killers. and Oh, yeah. Everyone eats everybody. Yeah. MMA math is probably most broken in this division. Absolutely. Ah, all right. That brings us to a Bantamweight bout, another Bantamweight bout, Javid Basharat. Mateus Mendonca, I think they said? Yeah, I think so. I would have said Mendonca, but, you know, whatever. Mateus Mendonca. Portuguese continues to befuddle me in every way possible. But uh, really just a great performance from Basharat, who to date in the UFC, you know, I know he, he really kind of, he built himself. I don't even want to say that, like, I don't want to call him this as like a, a put down or anything, but he really he built himself very clearly as a Conor McGregor clone. You know, he's got the beard, 
He's got mm-hmm. the style. He's got the the brashness. Like he really came up copying Conor McGregor, and he's his own person. But that was what he was. That's clearly the path that he was trying to to walk. And it's interesting because he's not nearly the finisher that McGregor was. So what's developed is just a really, and shown in the UFC, I'm really surprised at how to me, is an incredibly tough, incredibly composed, and incredibly controlled fighter who makes a lot of right decisions. Mm-hmm. You know? That's that composure. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really an invaluable skill to have. Um, and it's the skill, you know, it's yeah. not something that you just, you have or you don't, something that you can definitely work at. Um, but yeah, he, he uh, has a lot of hype and I'm going to be a little honest. I don't think he looked that impressive up until now. I thought he, um, for as hyped as he was, he was in a lot of close fights, fights that are, were closer than they should have been, in my yeah. opinion. Um, if he's going to be a world beater. Um, and this one, I mean, he seemed to be in, in pretty well in control throughout this whole thing. Um, it was still kind of close. Um, but I mean, he had Mendon's jumping guillotines by the end of this thing. Yeah. Like, like I said, I don't, yeah, I don't know if he's going to be like a, a top five or top 10 guy bantamweight is a a division full of sluggers and to date he has not uh he's not been one he's not a a guy who puts people away right but he is clearly like he clearly is tough enough to hang in this division and he makes all the right decisions and that'll get him a long way it'll get him it'll get him nipping up into the top 15 uh, he, he, you know, claimed very strenuously after the bout that he should be a top 15 fighter right now. And it's just like, well, I mean, you beat a debuting guy who may be a flyweight in the future. Mendonce is like five, six, and he's a good prospect. I like, I like what he does a lot. Very hard headed, very determined, very aggressive, can you hit with power, can wrestle, can grapple. Uh, and you made he made all the right decision, Bosch wrote out there. But like t- Gravely, Trevin Jones, Mateus Mendonce, it's not, you know, it's not a run to be an automatic top fifteen fighter right now. Um, no, but I could definitely see him, um, like Bilal Muhammading his way yeah, up absolutely. the ladder. Absolutely, he's got he's got the thinking man's game for it. He's got the toughness for it. And calling out Chris Gutierrez, like. That's a good fighter to take. Gutierrez is not, he's not the biggest hitter, biggest uh, athlete in that division either, you know? And, uh, but otherwise too, like I'd love to see him face somebody like Tyler Phillips out there or, uh, oh, forgetting his name right now, uh, Montel Jackson or Haile Alatang, you know, some of those dudes who are, are like four and one, five and one. I think Jackson's like six and two. Really put together a lot of good performances in the UFC already and are dangerous. A lot of whom can match him for size too. Like that's one of the big things for Boshrod. He's he's a five foot nine bantamweight. Um, and I think he can be a top 15 dude. It's just 
it's not the a fight over a debuting guy off contender series is not the proof. Yeah, and it's Even tough. It's a good, it's, well controlled one. It's tough cracking the top eight at one thirty five if you don't have Venom. Yeah, that's going to catch up to you. Yeah, but I love what I'm seeing out of Boshrat so far. He's not, like I say, he's not the the pow- He's not the hitter that Conor McGregor is, but he is much more composed in a rough spot and much better about fighting his way through adversity and doing things like landing his own takedowns and controlling action on the ground and, uh, you know, consistently fighting off his back foot with counters. It's, uh, there's a lot of yeah, little yeah. things that Bashrat does well. Yeah. Very smart, very efficient, very composed, yeah. a lot of upside. <laughs> Right, that brings us to a middleweight bout: Abdul Razak Al Hassan, Claudio Ribeiro, and uh, pretty fun fight. A lot of swinging, cling, which I thought would happen. Uh, I kind of thought this might even go all three rounds, just because uh, Ribeiro is not—he's he, not a hard fighter to clinch, and Al Hassan actually does like to clinch up a lot more than we people remember from all the knockouts he gets. Mm-hmm. But uh, Al-Hassan did well in the second round to realize that if Ribeiro was only exclusively going to kick him really hard in open space, just fire hooks over the top. Like, all he's going to do is kick, be there to punch every time a kick lands. And once he started doing that, he started crushing him. This honestly is one of the smartest performances I've seen out of Al-Hassan. Yeah, I mean, it was clear, you know, he, yeah, he ate some leg kicks early on, but he used his clinch work and he, he, he went wall and stall tactics and then, you know, snuck in a couple of elbows against the cage yeah. there as well and just did a very intelligent job of of neutralizing Claudio and, and keeping him out of his wheelhouse, which was kicking range, not letting him get his tie clinch. And once he found his moment. Al Hassan does what Al Hassan does, and yeah. the man has so much power. And I feel like Claudio just didn't face anyone on that level coming no, into this. This was a huge jump up for him. It was why I picked Al Hassan going in because it's just like yeah. both these guys could easily knock each other out in the first round, and I won't be surprised at all. But assuming that doesn't happen, Al Hassan is just the much more composed fighter at this stage in his career, and it showed more composed and awesome. Honestly, the more rounded fighter. Yeah. yeah. He's got that judo background. And it, they talked about this on the broadcast and even in his post fight speech, how he's trying to be more well rounded. And his coaches sat him down and had a real conversation with him. And yeah. you just were frank and like, hey, man, you need to stop going out there and exciting But this is MMA. You're a well rounded fighter. You're schooling guys in the gym. When you, when you mix things together, you need to be doing that out there in the cage. And he came out there and he did, did that tonight, and it paid off. Unfortunately for him, he did not get a bonus, which means slightly less Olive Garden for his kids. But Damn. Well, maybe he has some leftover gift cards from the holidays. There we go. Yeah, there we go. Make up the difference. All right, that brings us to a lightweight bout. Mateusz Rubeski, uh, Rem. Rembeski, Rumbeski, like they, hey, they put an you, M in there that I don't you're my really. <laughs> you're my go-to for this. Yeah, the the broadcast booth and Buffer on the mic, they all called him Rumba, 
Rembeski. So well, I'm going to call him Mateus, but go ahead. Yeah. Mateus Rembeski against Nick Fiore or Fiore. I don't know. He's American, so you never know what they're going to do with that kind of French name. Um, and uh, this was fine. It was kind of. It was for a fight that he dominated and got 30 27s and a 30 26. It was kind of a dumb fight from Rumbeski. And I think he even he even kind of admitted as much on the mic afterward, where he was basically like, Yeah, after round one, my whole game changed because I thought I was going to go out there and knock him out. And mm-hmm. then I started wrestling him after that. And it's just like for the ease he had dominating this guy on the mats. He put himself in a lot of danger in this fight that he did not need to just swinging for the fences for one round straight and gassing himself out pretty, pretty clearly. It was fun to watch. I got to be It was fun to watch. Yeah. Seeing just this human bowling ball go out there and and just fight so aggressively. Yeah. It was like, like a a hyper aggressive Johnny Hendricks. Yeah. Like the dude is just, he's a Southpaw and he's just coming out throwing these hammers and no one can keep that pace, especially with a no. build like that. Like, no, sir. Yeah. Um, credit, yeah. You were gonna say I was going to credit, credit Fiore for not wilting and just hanging tough. Yeah. Dude, dude clearly has the chin to hang at this level. Um, but he is one of a few fighters on this card who got picked up, especially for like short notice debuts. Uh, he and Nick Aguirre as well, where it's just like, you're not really ready to be here. You have the durability, but the rest of your game could really use way more seasoning. Because there's not really, even after gassing out, there wasn't really anywhere where Fiore was actually really competitive with Rembeski. No, this is one of those, uh, you know, who you know kind of things. Yeah. Uh, Fiore being one of those um, Tyson Chartier guys. Yeah. Yeah, that's why he's here. Yeah, yeah, I, I think he could. Uh, the New England Cartel, that's what that's yeah, called. Yeah, the New England Cartel, dudes. But yeah, I mean, a little refinement, tough out. Yeah. And I mean, he faced a bull here. He did. Maybe he'll get a softer step back. Maybe he can do, maybe this will, you know, help wake him up. Maybe it'll give him enough money to train full time. You never know with guys coming off the regionals. It's always one of the big things where even just getting a couple of like, whatever purses sometimes that can be the difference of like oh I can actually work work on more of a full time training schedule for the first time in my life and sometimes guys make big jumps after that but for the moment it was probably a pretty rough wake up call of like you know yeah I think man one of the best examples I can think of that is Max Griffin mm -hmm. I mean when when he got into the UFC he had another full time job yeah, and this I think it was he won a performance of the night bonus, and that just changed his life. He was able to quit his job, focus full time on fighting, and I mean he just went on a tear. Yeah, happens a lot. So you never know. But I like I was gonna say, you know, at the moment it's got to be a pretty rough wake up call to go from fighting like, you know, four and four and like two and five guys on the regionals to fighting some like sixteen and one dude who's been going through the, the pretty deep Polish MMA scene for the last five or six years now. Yeah, three times as much experience. Yeah. 
All right. That brings us to a flyweight bout. Alan Nascimento, Carlos Hernandez. And uh, it's funny, before the fight started, somebody was, I was saying, like, oh, I'm picking Nascimento. I think Hernandez is going to get tangled up with him on the mat at some point. That's going to be it. And somebody's like, I don't know. Is Nascimento even really that good a grappler? And uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm shocked to learn that the dude got his black belt last month because this dude gave Tajir Lambakov all kinds of trouble on the mat. This dude went out and straight up beat Jake Hadley, whose whole game is grappling on the mat last time out. And Carlos Hernandez didn't even get taken down. He took his back standing, the Charles Oliveira classic, and that was a wrap. Like, yeah, he, he he got the back body lock, and he just started building from there. And you could you could see Charles Oliveira's grappling game every step of the way in the way that Alan Nascimento finished this fight. No, Hernandez, he was defending well at first when, yeah. when they were on the ground. But the second he stood up, yeah. was, that was that was the, the death blow there. That was the fatal flaw. Um yeah, just you can't you can't give um, grapplers like that that sort of time to do what they want. Like the whole time he's standing up, Nascimento is making all the right adjustments and going for the choke. Yeah, and I mean, there's something about watching guys tap out when they're standing up that just pleases <laughs> me. I don't I don't know what it is. Standing it really taps are the best. Yeah, I mean, because like with the the you know on the mat. Things can be kind of in a tangle. You, you you never know. Somebody just kind of slaps on a sub, and so it's like, oh my god, oh you know, tap 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 tap. But standing, a person standing always feels like they should have a way out. Like they're up on their feet. Yeah. You're not gonna not gonna have to tap, am I? Like I am standing. It's like the Amanda Lamosh, uh, just right. fight or on Jessica Andrade fight. And it's just like I'm not gonna have to. What I am. I am standing up. I can get out. All I got to do is wait until you fall off of me. This will go away. <laughs> and the tap always feels more crushing and like more just inevitable. Like, oh my God, I'm really going to have to tap to this. Like you could tell, you could tell Hernandez was going through it out there. Yeah. <laughs> the panic. Cause I mean, he yeah. did everything. He like, he fought the hands like he was yeah. supposed to, but he was in too deep at that point. He he's yeah. already allowed Nascimento to get under the chin, and once that once his once his chin was out of the equation, I mean, it was yeah. academic. Yeah, Nascimento might be you know if he's anything if he continues on this this path and he's anything like Oliveira, he's he's the type of guy who if, even if he only had one hand around your neck, you are probably going to have to tap eventually. You yeah, know. tough style though for flyweight. I gotta be yeah, honest. it is it is difficult. I mean, there's a reason he lost that fight to Tajir Lombakov because this is a division full of fast scramblers. It is it's a lot harder than lightweight to beat everybody to positions and tap them out. But I, I'm gonna love watching it. You know. Yeah. Someday he's going to have to fight Brandon Royville. That's the fight I'll, I'll want, really want to see. Oh, hell yeah. All Royville's right. all the fun. That brings us to a featherweight bout. Daniel Argueta, Nick Aguirre, and um, and this fight didn't really... Not only was Aguirre not ready, this fight just kind of didn't belong in the UFC. 
it was, <laughs> it was two wrestlers who spent like two rounds kickboxing in a way that looked like it. This fight was like straight out of 2007. That's very fair and accurate. <laughs> That's oddly accurate. Arguetta's his punching form when he's not when he's right in the pocket. There's some clean. There, there's the occasional clean, clean tight hook, but anytime he's outside, man, you that that shoulder like he he's talking about. He just came back from shoulder surgery, and it's like I am not surprised. You you look like you're gonna throw that thing out of the socket every time you throw a right hand from distance. So yeah, not a great fight. Probably no. worst fight on the card. Yeah, um, very just run of the mill. Yeah, I can't even remember any big wow moments. Maybe like a couple rear naked choke attempts, but yeah, not nothing. Yeah. nothing to write home about. For that kind of the bummer fight of the night, Charles Johnson, Jimmy Flick, uh, Flick coming back after a couple years of retirement, coming out with his dad. Big moment for him if you know anything about Flick's story, because. Uh, his dad and his brother had both battled had both battled addiction for a long time. Oh wow! And his, his dad was like the big driving force that got him into MMA, and he and you know he and his dad trained together and worked together for years on his MMA journey. Because Flick's been in this game for like a decade now, right? And his dad had fallen into addiction pretty hard, and Flick had kind of he talked about like how he hoped getting to the UFC would bring his family back together. And he retired because it it didn't. Like he turned around and he was like, you know, I I don't feel like I did this for myself, and it didn't bring me anything, any happiness. So I'm walking away. And so he comes back and he's coming back with his dad, and it, you know, it's a big success story for him on that front. Like that's that's a huge moment for him. And uh, then he lost. Just like MMA to ruin it. Yeah, just like MMA to ruin it. So, kind of. <laughs> uh, a bummer. I don't even mean to laugh, but it's it's just. I mean, it's, it's the, like the what? tragic comedy that is MMA, yeah. or is it a yeah. comedic tragedy? I can't tell. Yeah. Either way, um, Flick Bro. looked small. Yeah. He looked helpless, defenseless. Anything he tried just didn't work. Um, it didn't matter where Johnson was. He was. He was. He was the alpha out there. And, you know, we just talked about how having a submission grappling game is a, is a tall order at 125. And this is a perfect example of that. Yeah. Like, I mean, I think a big part, too, is Johnson took a big, big step forward uh, in his last fight against uh, Zuma Gulov, mm-hmm. where he had been kind of a low output guy on the regionals, rarely ever felt like he really took over fights I, I you know you'd see uh you'd see him fight and it was always like okay you're fighting this really slow paced striking battle and at some point you land the, the strikes to take it over and steer it your way but are you even winning rounds out here these are you know it was not a it was not a, a flyweight style and that fight against Shumagulov really stepped up for him and this felt like the continuation of that, where he just came out and he just commanded and he yeah. led and he threw all the volume and he took over. So it was a great performance from him on that. Great to see him take the momentum he had built and come back around. Yeah. I mean, good to see the hunger and the desire. I mean, you can tell he really yeah. wanted it and he wasn't going to be denied, especially not by Jimmy Flick. You no. know, 
sucks, you know, the way his story's going and all, but, you know, Johnson really showed up tonight. Yeah. Our producer just noting that uh, we have reports John Jones has now signed a new eight-fight deal with the UFC, and Francis Ngannou has been stripped of the heavyweight title. Wow. The UFC has waived their exclusive negotiating window. There is no matching rights clause. So So you know what that means. John Jones versus Cyril Gone for the undisputed heavyweight title. Yep. Jones gone, title fight incoming. Francis Francis Ngannou. Francis is likely to PFL. Yeah, I don't know. I mean... I don't know if I'm in Ganu that I go to PFL and depend on, but they're probably going to, they are, I know they are chasing high, high na- big name free agents for, for pay-per-view and they're trying to splash out big on pay-per-view. So uh, I do know that there's an open weight Muay Thai tournament going on in one. He can go into <laughs> that. <laughs> e- yeah. Imagine? No, no, I can't. I uh, want to see it. I, I also want you know you gotta wonder too is is this is there gonna be the boxing the boxing pay per view that Ngannou wanted out mm, there for him? Jury. Yeah, so a lot of things in play for Ngannou right now, but officially as of this moment, no longer a UFC fighter. Yeah, um, that's um, uh, it, it sucks to see him go because I you know there's plenty of fights I wanted to see him in in the ufc john jones being one of them um but it does kind of uh add some clarity to the division sure well i mean you can't have stipe and nganu and jones all sitting there you know twiddling their thumbs and doing nothing i'm all for fighters looking out for themselves but we also need to see fights happen like there's a push pull at some point between fan and fighter, and you know, if, if and nothing else, if if Ngannou, I want Ngannou to go out and get paid, stripping him of the title and putting on a new title fight. If the UFC is not willing to pay him, then that's the right way to go. Yeah, and nothing saying he won't be back, right? It's true. Yeah, I can easily even I can even just see Ngannou going out and having a big exhibition boxing match and then going back to the UFC. Frankly, yeah, why not? So we will see what happens in the future. But as of the moment, we're wrapping things up right now. You can find me on Twitter at these ain't Simon. You can find Eddie on Twitter at the Eddie Mercado. You can find both of us over at Bloody Elbow day in, day out. And as always, give us a like, subscribe to our channel, Bloody Elbow Presents, over on SoundCloud, YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, all that good stuff. And we'll be back in one week's time for UFC 283 to share versus Hill going down in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. Thanks everyone for tuning in. See you next time. Thank you for tuning in to this Bloody Elbow Presents production. To check out more of our content, subscribe to our YouTube channel, which is titled Bloody Elbow Presents. We're also on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, Overcast, Player FM, and Amazon Music. Just search for Bloody Elbow Presents and you'll get brand new shows throughout the week, including Care Don't Care, the Level Change Podcast, the MMA Bivis Section, the 6th Round Post-Fight Show, 6th Round Retro, the MMA Depressed Us, Crooklyn's Corner, Exclusive Fighter Interviews, Show Money, 
Guest Podcast, the Hey Not The Face Podcast, and radio-style play-by-play for every UFC pay-per-view. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Bloody Elbow, Facebook at Facebook.com slash Bloody Elbow Blog, and as always, on BloodyElbow.com. <laughs>